You are listening to a Sunday morning message from River Corner Church. River Corner Church is a growing church community of everyday people who gather to worship God, follow Jesus, and journey through life together. You are invited to gather with us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. If you have any questions about something you heard in this message, or if you want to learn more about our growing church community, visit us online at rivercornerchurch.com. I feel like I'm drowning. I can't take it anymore. Make it stop. I just can't handle it anymore. I don't know where to start. I don't know how I'm going to get everything done. I'm losing my mind. I can't think straight. Have you ever said one of those statements? Or a statement that is similar to one of those statements? I'm sure all of us at some point has said some sort of statement that reflects the overwhelming experience that we are in at any point of our lives. Nervous and mental breakdowns are not a clinical or medical term. Yet, when you're going through a nervous and a medical, I mean, a nervous and a mental breakdown, it surely feels like a diagnosable problem. Nervous and mental breakdowns are a term that we use to describe when we feel this sense of extreme, overwhelming, emotional stress. There are several things that can lead to such a stress of anxiety and nervous and mental pressure. Sometimes it's sudden tragedy or major life change, a a constant stress at work with an employer or a boss or an employee or family, or it's your health, and perhaps it's, it's just this general undiagnosed sense of anxiety and depression, of poor sleep, of a sense of abuse that you've had to take, or even your financial problems. Though they may not be medically diagnosed terms, nervous and mental breakdowns, the sense of being overwhelmed is tragic when we come into them. They can become scary, heavy, and debilitating. And we're overwhelmed. When we find ourselves overwhelmed by our stress and our emotions, what it does is it activates the sympathetic uh, part of our brain, and we enter this fight, fight, or freeze part of our, our brain. We respond to the stress in that way, and we then tend to act out towards others. We take out our kind of angst on others. We become agitated and irritable. Or sometimes what we do is we prepare for a fight. And other times we just either lock down and freeze and don't know what to do or we run away at any point. We kind of lock down and can't process anything. We do more than just respond to a sense of fight, flight, or freeze by pushing back or shutting down or running away. We also experience it in our body. There's an overwhelming rapid heart rate. There's a sense that our blood pressure is increasing. Sometimes we feel like we're getting warm. There's a rapid breathing. Our muscles begin to have tension. We begin to sweat. We begin to release cortisol in our brain and adrenaline, which creates this quick rush of energy and focus, followed by a sense of shutdown and depression. When we are overwhelmed, we become anxious, as I said, agitated and irritable with ourselves, with life, and with others. 
Medical experts continue to show that as stress builds up in our life over a lifetime, especially if we never take a break from the thing that's causing our stress, it can lead to chronic health problems, such as heart disease, depression, anxiety disorders. It may lead to cancers, mental disassociation, where we're living out of two sides of our brain, and autoimmune problems. Not that all those things are caused by stress. There are other causes of those things, too. But there are moments in our life where those things are triggered by our stress. And if we are struggling with some of those things, being overwhelmed with stress certainly makes those situations worse. They're worsened by our overwhelming sense of emotion. Our default response to stress is to try to push on or push through or lock down, work harder. We tell ourselves we can, if we can just get through it, we'll figure something out. We'll bottle it down a little bit more. We'll find some new untapped inner strength we don't know about. Maybe we dip into a phone booth and we rip off our shirt and we're Superman all of a sudden. right? The reality, that analogy doesn't work anymore because we don't have phone booths. Uh, but sometimes we can delay or push it down for a little bit. But what happens when we can't push down that overwhelming sense anymore? Today's Father's Day, sometimes, and happy Father's Day to the fathers here, there's sometimes that we as fathers feel like we need to be stable and strong and push through and be able to handle whatever life throws at our family. And the truth is, Sometimes we can't. And then we tell ourselves, but we can't show to anyone that we can't do it, right? Life is hard. Last week, there was a major shipwreck in the deepest part of the Mediterranean Sea. I don't know if anyone caught news of this, but from what I understand, the ship was headed to Italy, and it was carrying approximately 750 people. The ship was carrying many on board, many immigrants who were fleeing from an overwhelming sense of life in which they were in, and they were trying to find freedom, to liberate themselves in Europe in a new way. And they were overwhelmed with life that it caused them to take flight in such a way that they didn't consider the ramifications of what they were doing. The reason why the ship sank is still under investigation. It's been all over the news, but they believe the problems first started when the ship either ran out of fuel or had engine problems. But that alone doesn't lead to a sinking ship. The ship was overwhelmed, and it sank because it was overcrowded. A call came in Tuesday to a distressed sea line, and individuals from the boat shared that they were not moving And to make things worse, they found that the captain had fled the boat in a smaller boat and left them. Now, captains are supposed to go down with the ship. That's what the old mantra is, right? The captain should go down with the ship. But seemingly, this captain, as he, you see the picture here of the ship that is certainly overcrowded, this captain realized the overwhelming situation he was in, and he took to flight. Imagine the shock, by the way, when they began to look around and realize suddenly they were abandoned. That it seemed like no one cared about them. That they were there without a captain and there would be a fear. It would be fun if I'd say, have you ever had a boss that you felt like was never around? And what did that feel like to you? What, what happened in the organizational ethos of your company when they weren't around? 
And surely after the initial call from this boat that said, hey, we're out here, we're abandoned, we're broken down, what happened is the fear began to sit into the individuals. The ship began to rock back and forth as the fear caused people to walk back and forth. There's stories that some people tried to throw them water, and all of a sudden everyone went to one side of the boat. And quickly a second call came in saying, we really need help. The ship is now rocking. It was very overcrowded for a ship its size. As a Greek Coast Guard came to the rescue, they attempted to, to talk to them, to help them, but the people felt they didn't need help. They were scared that maybe the Coast Guard would force them to go back into the situations they had just left, and so they didn't really engage them. And eventually, though, they did accept a tow rope that was thrown to them, but because they were at this point, solely, so highly anxious, and none of them ship-faring people. They didn't have the captain on board. They didn't know how to attach the tow line. And as they tried to pull away, and as the people kept shifting in their fear from side to side, it sank. Greek officials said that they recovered the body of 78 men, women, and children. There were 104 survivors that they rescued, but there are 500 people or more that are missing and feared dead. One article I read said that the support lines after uh, the, the wreck has been overwhelmed night and day, 24 hours a day, with family and friends calling to check on the concern they have of missing loved ones. Without a captain on board, fear and a realizing the problem took over. They became overwhelmed, and it was ultimately their downfall. Now, this is an overwhelming story. I've been on ships and boats when storm comes in. Uh, there's this overwhelming sense, certainly, that first settles in, but then you usually look to the captain, and you see that he's kind of chill about it and laid back, and you, you realize that you're at the mercy of the power of the wind and the rain and the waves. But you also see this good captain who's holding the course and who is able to kind of keep everyone calm. And in that situation, it makes all the difference. In this story, there was no storm. Seemingly, it's just an overwhelmed ship with overwhelmed people who are overwhelmed by their worry and their fear that led to a disastrous outcome. There was no one there to calm their fears or make the situation right. The shipwreck reminds us of how often we react badly in moments that we feel overwhelmed. Where there's something traumatic or something that drives anxiousness out of us that happens, that all of a sudden we tend to either lock down, run away, or become overwhelmed. In, or we try to push through. We tell ourselves, I can handle this. Or we try to say, things will get better. This is just part-time. Or maybe we try to find a way to overcome our challenges. If I could just get this other thing, this job, this other house, things will be better. And sometimes in that, we ignore the help of the others, like the people at first did on this ship. And sometimes we even ignore the help that's right there before us because in our fear, that moment of cortisone rushing through our brain, we aren't able to actually process What's happening right before us? And who and what help might be there right before us? The panic and the chaos that ensued on the ship are a stark reminder of ignoring or underestimating the impact of stress and worry. 
It's a poignant reminder that uh, we need to acknowledge and address the places in which we are overwhelmed. In the scriptures, there are many stories of ships and boats that are uh, in stressful moments that show up in the scriptures. In Genesis, God uses a boat to save Noah and his family from an overwhelming sense of brokenness and tragedy and violence and, in the, and, it, it, the, and sin in the world. Now, the boat didn't save them. God saved them. Noah didn't save them on his manpower of, of building an ark. In fact, they didn't even know how to build an ark. God had to teach him how to build a boat. They didn't succeed because uh, Noah ignored the problem or pushed through the problem or kind of pushed aside the stresses of the day. Noah made it. His family made it because God kept them safe. God reminded him that he was with them. In the story of Jonah, as the stormy sea set in and Noah's out on his ship, the ship crew is overwhelmed by the stormy seas and the last-ditch effort. They think, if we throw this guy overboard, he's obviously angered God. If we throw him overboard, we will certainly be okay. And in Jonah, the ship and the people are saved. Jonah and the people of the ship are saved simply because God is in control. They didn't succeed because they ignored or pushed through or pushed aside the stresses of the day or because they threw Jonah overboard. In fact, Jonah found himself in trouble because he tried to ignore it, run away, and push back. God in this story continually reminds Jonah he was with them despite his disobedience. As Paul's arrested in Acts and he's on his way to Rome, He's aboard a ship, and he's able to remain calm even though he's arrested. He's shackled to other prisoners, despite the treatment he's receiving from Roman guards. Even despite the storm their ship is in, Paul remains calm. In Acts, Paul and those on the ship with him are saved in the shipwreck because God is in control. They didn't succeed because they ignored, pushed through, or pushed aside the stresses of their day. In fact, the soldiers wanted to run, and Paul said that that wouldn't work. Guys, if you do that, God's going to take his hand off us. Paul remembered, and God reminded Paul that he was with them. In Mark 4, 35 through 41, we see another story where those on a ship face a pretty perilous moment. But they're saved because God is in control. I invite you to turn with me to Mark 4, 35 through 41. This is the next story as we continue through our series. The time has come. This look at the story of Mark. In this story, we read this, Mark 4, 35 through 41. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat, and there were other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? He got up. He rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Why do you still have no faith? They were terrified, and he asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. 
Now, at first glance, and usually when we look at this story, I think we tend to focus on the power of Jesus. We tend to look at how Mark has continually shown that Jesus has authority over sickness. He's got authority over the synagogue. He has authority over uh, demonic oppression. And here, Mark is also showing what? Well, he has authority over the natural world, the world that God has created. But we also see in this story, and I think sometimes we fail to see, just how fearful and panicked and overwhelmed the disciples are. But despite that overwhelming situation, Jesus remains calm. In fact, if I'd be honest about it, he remains unnervingly calm. How many of you could stay asleep in the middle of a ship where it seems so bad that you're about to crash, right? I think most of us would begin to wake up and become pretty anxious. But Jesus models an unnerving calmness. We see a a difference for sure that God's kingdom makes in here and now, right? The disciples are amazed that he miraculously stops the storm, and, and they look at him like, wow, who is this guy that has authority over the elements? And we get this weird tension in the text where, They're in awe, that's worship, of what Jesus can do and who he is. But there's also lack of understanding of who Jesus is up to this point. They've been at his side for a while. They've seen him do some pretty cool stuff. In fact, some of them, like Peter, have personally experienced the transformation of his presence because mother-in-law got healed and moved out, right? Peter knows the firsthand response uh, and what Jesus is capable of, his capacity. But in this moment, they seem to be in awe and worship, but also this disbelief. They have this narrative that, who is this guy? Where did he come from? Now, on the other side of the sea, Jesus is going to continue doing what he was doing on this side of the sea, preaching the kingdom of God. And he's going to do it through healing people. He's going to also do it through the continuation of parables and things like that. But in this moment, we see this struggle of their disbelief. In fact, Jesus even seems amazed that they're amazed at his power. He says, guys, do not still yet have faith, right? Why are you so weak in your faith? Do you, What has caused you not to believe? You see, in that moment, their anxiety, their fear, their worry had overwhelmed them. And they had failed to see the captain was still on board. They had failed to see that there was still somebody there modeling a divine power that would get them through difficult times. In this time, there was lots of ancient literature of people who could subdue the forces of nature. They believed that there were some people that had the power to shift, not stop nature, but shift it. Ironically, we're getting to that point with technology now, but that's another discussion of, uh, that warrants conversation at some point. But they also believed that, the, that for Jews especially, those people that could shift or shape weather, they believed most likely were because of angelic forces. But because of the Old Testament, they knew that all angelic forces had to answer to one source of nature, God. Ultimately, the scriptures in Jewish tradition tell us that it's God himself 
who ruled the winds and the sea. And that's why the disciples all of a sudden become super overwhelmed with who Jesus is in that moment. Wait a minute. He didn't just shift or shape it. He controlled it. Is he God? That would have been the paradigm, the threat. And even asking that question at this time would have been dangerous for them. But in that moment, they realized that their friend and rabbi did what they believed only God could do. And all of a sudden, now they must wrestle with the identity of who Jesus is. Jesus, like God, is controlling the forces of this world. They didn't have a right size image of Jesus. They didn't see who he was and what he was capable of. They didn't see his role. Sometimes I think, especially when we're in moments that are overwhelming, we don't have a right size image of God. We think of him as someone who will make all things right someday. We think of him as someone that will, you know, save our eternal state. But we regulate him to this cute little story in the Bible to these stories where Jesus is quaint and helps people. We think of him as somebody to look up to, but not necessarily that he's looking to control our everyday outcome now and in the situations that we're overwhelming. Fishermen and boats in this era were not meant for open seas. In fact, Galilean fishermen did not usually cross the sea. They usually stayed right on the coast. And in this way, because of the, w- the way that the, the sea is uh, bordered by cliffs and rocks, it is common for big storms to come out of nowhere and get trapped right there, creating hazardous conditions. Not only do the waves get big and rough there, the boats weren't big, right? They weren't built for crossing it. And Jesus wasn't like downstairs on the party deck of the cruise ship taking a nap, he was upstairs in what was called the helmsman seat. It was just a, a seat in the back that had one little cushion so a guy could keep an eye on where they were going. It's the place that Jesus chooses to sleep, ironically, in the seat of the captain of the seat of someone who is in control. That is where he's sleeping. But in the moment of the, being overwhelmed, they forget about that. In the moment that they're overwhelmed, they probably wrestled with the sails. They fought with the oars. They tried to turn their ship one way, their boat one way or another. And I suspect that if they for a second just didn't remember that Jesus was with them, they ultimately would have had a similar experience to the shipwreck story that we told about earlier. In that moment, their anxiety told them something. It told them this. God has abandoned us, or Jesus doesn't care about us. God doesn't have my best interest in heart. In fact, as they're running around, as the saying goes, like chickens with their heads cut off, um, in that moment they say, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? God, don't you have our best interest at heart? Jesus don't you know we're in the middle of trouble? And I, I don't think, and I'm sure some of us have said things at times like that. I don't think that they're necessarily believing that he's just kind of being uh, in his own world and not worried about the storm. But I think they're upset that he's not suffering and trying to help save them like they are. They're jealous of his contentment. Their fear 
when they began to say, I'm drowning, I can't make it anymore, make it stop, I just can't handle it right now, was to believe a narrative that God didn't have their best interest in hand. Perhaps at times we believe things like that too. In the middle of our overwhelming fear and anxiety, perhaps we accept narratives of how we see God. Some of us may see God as angry and vengeful, believing that God is constantly wanting to punish us for our sins. As a result, we live in fear of his wrath and become anxious about our ability to please him. Others of us believe maybe God is apathetic. This is the idea that perhaps he's just indifferent to our struggles. He's only interested in helping us eternally, not now. And so we lead ourselves into this loop of fear and despair and hopelessness. Perhaps some of us think that God is distant, right? This idea that he's removed from our lives. He's not necessarily considered with, concerned with every moment of our well-being. He's trusted us to do things, right? God helps those who help themselves. That's a, 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 a not in the Bible, but it's a belief system we have. And this then leads to feelings of loneliness and abandonment. That God is over there and we're here. Others of us may at times feel that God is inconsistent. And this belief suggests that God is unpredictable and inconsistent with his actions towards us. And this can lead to feelings of confusion and anxiety about our future. Others of us may feel that God is demanding. And this narrative suggests that God has impossibly high expectations for us. And there's no way we can live up to him perfectly. And so we cast shame and guilt on ourselves. And we ask this question, teacher, don't you care if we drowned? In this storm of life that I'm walking through, whatever it is, whatever your storm is, don't you care? Don't you have my best interest in heart? At this moment, Jesus invites the kingdom into the situation. It's in that moment that, as Mark says, Jesus starts his gospel with saying, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. It's that moment that Jesus does that very thing here, and he stands up, and using the same words he said to silence somebody who was uh, possessed demonically earlier in Mark, he just says, stop, be calm, right? Experience the peace. It's interesting that Jesus taught his disciples to say a prayer that has this line in it. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And Jesus is doing that in this situation. He is inviting God's rule and reign into the storm of life. And it is a prayer that Jesus leaves with us because Jesus wants to do the same thing. Overwhelmed, they have a split second where they all of a sudden remember Jesus is with them. He is in the pilot's seat. He's accessible. The seas can become calm. They remember that he was there, and in that moment, as he stands up and brings peace, as they become aware that he is there, William Barclay says they experience something called fearless peace. How many of you live every moment of your life in that state? I have yet to find what it means to live contently and consistently in fearless peace. But I think this story teaches a few things as we close here. One, Jesus is with us. He is the source of peace during times of overwhelming stress. 
He tells us to us, John records Jesus saying, I'm going, but peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not peace like the world gives, but don't let your hearts be troubled and be afraid. Two, in this story, we see the need to address stress in our lives, the places that we feel overwhelmed and we avoid because it causes physical problems, chronic health problems, but it also will get us to believe a false narrative about who God is and what God is capable of. 1 Peter 5.7 tells us this, cast your cares upon him, right? Literally to take off and throw with your might. Do you ever go to a uh, Scottish Celtic festival and there's that, that sport where guys will take a, hail ba- uh, a bale of straw or they'll take a rock or some big bag and they'll throw it over a kind of a, a field goal looking thing, right? That's the image that is in the word for cast off with all might, with all of your strength, cast it up to him. In this story, we also see that resting in God's presence is essential. In that moment, they're amazed by what God can do, but they're failing to realize how they need to rest in that moment. There's an invitation from Jesus in Matthew 11. It says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, all of you who are overwhelmed, and I will give you rest. For God's Spirit provides peace for us in the midst of storms and whatever we're experiencing with when we can slow down and realize it. And through God's Spirit, we have that authority to overcome such things. It's great to see what Jesus is doing. But we need to remember, too, we have that power. We've been taught to pray like that. And Jesus even says that Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things. How to do is what that word teach means. How to do all the things that I have done and I have said to you. The narrative of the scriptures time and time again is that God is with us. Jesus as God with miraculous authority and a worshipful sense of all uh, is an approach we're to take as disciples do in this story. And this scripture helps us right-size Jesus. We need the right size of Jesus as God. However, even more, we must remember the difference that heaven makes here and now. We must align our hearts and our heads. It's essential we're not walking through our pain overwhelmed in such a way that we're saying, don't you care if we drowned? We must not let those questions enter our hearts and minds. We must slow down and see the places where he's already in the storm with us. I've been getting into this habit of taking a yellow post-it note and putting a small dot in the middle of it. And I'm saying, that's me in the middle of the universe, or, or that's me in the middle of the storm that I am wrestling with. And I realize, kind of like David said in Psalm 8, who am I that you think of me, right, in this vast universe? And then on the backside, after I've humbled myself, that I'm just a grain of salt on, the, on a sea or a grain of sand on the beach, I begin to write the things that I do have to be thankful for. Who is in my life encouraging me right now? Where has God given me blessings? And what happens is I begin to write these things down and process, you know, what is God calling me into this season? I begin to become encouraged, and I feel this overwhelming sense of peace come on me. Because in those moments, I'm remembering the captain is actually still in his chair. 
He hasn't abandoned ship. He's just not working in the way that I want him to work right now. But it helps me right-size him and align him in. Jesus doesn't only need us to be amazed with his miracles, but he wants us to be amazed with the way that we're living out God's liberation and authority to others. Perhaps a storm story also invites us to ask, who's in our life that's in the middle of a storm right now? Who needs God's liberation? Who needs God's authority to declare, to be declared in their space, to help them, to pray with them, to actually be the hands and feet of God and bring God's liberating and authority into their situation? I think it's important for us to realize that not only do we need to remind ourselves that Jesus is in the seat? But we too are to remind each other that Jesus is in the seat. I'll pray and then Laura will close us out in a song, I believe. Do you have a song? Okay. Lord, there are situations in which we just become overwhelmed with what's going on. We have health issues, we have issues with family and relationships. We have stresses about many things that weigh on us. And in those moments, Lord, sometimes we begin to accept a false narrative of who you are. Though the scriptures constantly say, you have your eyes on us, that you know every hair on our head, that you have plans for us, that you want us to have a life of abundance, we often, in our anxiety, feel this Narrative, and we believe it. Don't you have our best in mind? Why did you give your best to others and not me? Or in this story, we're reminded that you are in the seat. Help us to find those things this week. Help us to find those places, those anchoring moments where you are there, where your authority can be brought in. And help us to come to you not in fear, but expectation that you will bring your authority into the moment. Amen.